Welcome into Loserville, folks. It is Philip Kingston. Tyler Wade is back. Um, and we are uh, getting together on the day after the Red River Shootout, which is not what it's called anymore. You went to this? Yeah, I got to go. So it had been a bucket list item for me for a while, even before moving to Dallas. I think there's something really cool about it. You know, the stadium just being split in half and half of it orange and half of it red. And so wanted to go. And so I uh, had been looking at tickets on the secondary market. They were <clears throat> exorbitant. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, pretty, which was, I guess, not surprising. But my friend and I, we were like, well, why don't we just go to the fair and we'll kind of see if there's anybody Correct. selling tickets outside. Or... Right strategy. Right. So <laughs> we went down there. Uh, we took Dart, um, which... Um, he lives downtown. We got on the green line. Uh, there's still time left in the fair. I highly recommend that mode of travel to the fair. Uh, it's $6 for a day pass, and you don't have to worry about parking, and it was easy to get on and easy to get off. Um, so took that into the fair, and um, we kind of hung around for a little bit. Um, you know how we used to get to the fair? How? We would drive. Cars. We would drive, we would pack a car with more people than the manufacturer's recommendation, and we would drive to one of the neighboring uh, residential hoods around the fair park, and instead of pay the parking fee at fair park, we would just park in somebody's lawn. He would invariably be... Uh, a large black man with a shotgun and he was charging half of what uh fair park was charging. And somehow I felt better about the safety <laughs> of my car. Your car. Yeah. The, the armed guards. Yeah. So we, but we yes, dart hi highly superior. We were hanging out at the Magnolia beer garden for the first half. Uh, UT scored to make it 28 to nothing. And so uh, I was like, well, let's head over back to the cotton bowl plaza get a Fletcher's corn dog and uh, get tickets from OU people. So we got some tickets from some OU fans who were leaving dejected and watched the second half of the game. Oh, that's um, lovely. Yeah. For free. I mean, and you, yeah, I was paying to get into the fair. So um, it was, uh, and, and it was so funny time. too. Yeah. I really don't, I really don't have a rooting interest, but in general, I have more people I care about who want Texas to win. And I think that probably the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma are exactly as corrupt as institutions. So that's wash. So in general, I'm just trying to keep your friends happy side with my I want my friends to be happy about their yeah. football team. I wore a UT hat uh, to the game, um, you know, I guess living here, but did not have a uh, huge dog in the fight, but had a lot of fun. The Oklahoma people were very nice. Um, got to have my fill of fried foods, rode a ride, didn't die. Uh, all in all, a pretty successful All the trip things. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have an good, idea for, uh, I have an idea for the fried food contest for the fair next year that I'm talking with uh, our friend Pasha Hadari uh, of the great Bowen House in Las Palmas about executing on. I think, I think I've got this thing in the bag for next year. Going, I'm going to be the the blue ribbon winner for the fried food. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a thing to aspire, aspire to be, but it was great. <laughs> it was great fun. People should go. So do you know that there's actually a local politics angle to this? 
I did not. Texas and OU get money from the city of Dallas every year to come play this game. Um, and it's the theory is that that it's it's an e- it's economic impact. You know, anytime economic and impact are together in a sentence that, you know, that it, 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 it can it can be correctly translated just... as as bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um and so every few years they threaten to like leave and go to Jerry world, which is really, I'm pretty sure that's a hollow threat because their fans really appreciate the atmosphere that you correctly identified. So what the city of Dallas is doing by incentivizing the continuation of one of the greatest and um, most vigorously defended uh, rivalries in college football history is basically just set money on fire. I think is what we're doing there. But it needs to stay at the cotton bowl. I would be really sad if it left. Uh, So, you know, consider that, I don't know, an endorsement of our tax dollars to support those. Uh, I enjoy having it there. You're not listening. They're not going to leave if we don't pay them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope they don't. It was great. I mean, I know that is the one thing that what Texas's athletic director when they left the Big 12 was like, we don't really give a shit about A&M, uh, we, but we are going to keep our rivalry with Oklahoma and it will be played in the Cotton Bowl. Um, he, he has correctly identified that they must continue to do that. But the yeah. first thing he said was bullshit. Yeah. They do yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> um. Where do you want to start this week? We got multiple topics. We got a lot of things. I mean, one, the, the, I've been, a lot of people have been murmuring. And by a lot of people, I mean me and my friend. We've been talking about the debut of, of uh, 97.1, The Freak. And, you know, they're going to need to fill some Saturday and Sunday programming, Philip. And I think Loserville is ripe for making its migration to the radio airwaves of the, the Metroplex. Uh, being somewhat um, acquainted with the, the decision makers that would have to <laughs> sign off on that process i i can assure you that um if we ever appear on the freak it will be for different reasons than to do an episode <laughs> of loserville that's uh i mean you know we'd have to one we'd have to cuss less right uh you know so yeah, we have like to very much less have to change have to change that but i don't know the demand is there i don't know if uh, people are you know our listeners want a campaign i think they they need to start going after the freak and saying, you know, you want to hear Tyler and Philip on Saturdays. Well, and I can, I can actually cuss less. I actually do go to court. Like well, I know, so yeah, I they, know how judges to don't do like it. That, right? I just yeah, judges don't, don't choose like to do so do here. Yeah. Uh, the freak has been a really welcome addition. I, uh, so when I moved to Dallas, um, I had known of the various sports stations, right. But it was after Reiner had retired from the ticket. Um, and I will say I found that the ticket my to, mind. Yeah, I found the ticket to be incredibly boring of a station to listen to. Uh, and I tried. I tried hard. And so I was listening to the fan uh, for a while. But I have listened to the freak all of this week, including when I was in, I was listening to it on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, and I really, really like it. Good. Um, it's been great. I am. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big P1, so I'm 
ticket guy, you know, general counsel of the hang zone, actually. There you go. Um, so I have some loyalty there, but I will say that um, I don't know. I, I mean, did you give the morning musers a try? You know, I tried listening. Yeah. And I, that's probably the least amount of time that I've been in the car is in the morning yeah, drive time. I, I, so. I think they're pretty, I mean, it, it's all a matter of taste, right? But yeah. I think they're pretty, obviously the ratings indicate that they are quite well received. Yes. Um, but the, uh, the, 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 the 10 to noon show, the Norm and Donnie show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am not, I'm not. Uh, throwing shade on Donnie. This is all about Norm being very past it. Um, you know, he doesn't watch sports anymore. Like he, he's just like he's bringing so little. But the, uh, I guess, management at the ticket, is, one of the guys is his former producer, and so like, there's never going to be, they're never going to have that moment where they wake up and are like. Oh, it's it's time to put Norm out to pasture. Just, um, yeah, so they, they've got on. two hours of really unlistenable radio, like right in the middle of the day. I'm still a massive fan of Hang Zone. I think Dan and Jake are absolutely great. And then I, I think that from the tickets perspective, the thing that's the biggest competitive threat is the three to seven. Yeah. Where they're going directly up against Reiner. And I I like Bob and Corby, but I don't think they've developed any chemistry at all and so i their their show is very disjointed and often quite boring um so yeah i'm with you on that it's uh yeah i mean it's an exciting addition to the the market you know good uh, changes not everybody in dallas uh happy so i don't know sharon grigsby wrote that column in the news that was like she's real what mad was about that it. Listen, there there are a hundred reasons that I cannot uh, tell everything I know about this situation, about the starting of the new station and where the talent is going. Um, but what I will say is, so people in sports all the time, sports fans specifically, your favorite player leaves for another team. You are mad, right? Or you're sad. You're, you're mad if you think that person betrayed you, right? Mm-hmm. And it means you're dumb. Mm-hmm. And if you're sad, it means you at least somewhat understand how the business works. Mm-hmm. But sports are sports, sports radio, and all other forms of employment are exactly the fucking same. When employees leave, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. It's rarely because the employees are assholes. Yeah, right. People, yeah, are looking for different opportunities. Yeah. So, so right, if anybody's Curtis, wondering why there's yeah. why people are leaving the ticket, just think of the normal reasons and you'll be right. That's the interesting, the sort of the hand wringing, right? That it's like, well, if we knew that Mike wanted to come back, you know, he could have just told us. And it was like, I don't, it seems like there's more there there, right? Or he um, didn't like the way the station ran, you know, right? he didn't like the yeah. way other people were treated. Yeah. Um Mike Gruber, I don't know what Mike Gruber is making today, but I know it's got to be at least 3x what he was making at the ticket. Because I know what he was making there and it was shocking. Right. And Mike Soroyka also leaving from the ticket, right, over lack of opportunities to advancement. So I know it's exciting to see these folks get a chance. Um, And it's been a really enjoyable. It was a great week of radio. So I I look forward to to seeing where that continues. Do Do you think it's missing what I think it's missing? 
Ooh, well, I don't know what you think is missing. It's it's the it's it's our closest connection. That is the closest connection that Loserville has to radio. Mm. Mm. TC Fleming. Yeah, oh yeah, TC. There you go. Yeah. I have to say, I was a little surprised not to hear him on the opening shows. And if they're if they don't go get him, I don't know what they're doing. That would be. Yeah. Yeah. We would love for TC to get that opportunity. And he can be on the inside and advocate for our Saturday morning show. I again, (laughs) it's funny, but. TC does care about making good radio, so I'm I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure that's headed our way. Um, uh, I think the headline. Uh oh, we've we've lost Tyler. I know my video is not. Oh, is uh, it's just your video? So you're still there? Okay, yeah. good. I don't have to do any editing. No. So I think the I think what will be the biggest headline by the end of the week. And I'm surprised there hasn't been writing about it already is UBI. Yes. Local UBI. Yeah. Right. So on Wednesday, uh, the city council approved carrying over $20 million in excess sales tax revenue uh, into the upcoming budget for sort of the racial equity related initiatives, including using a million dollars for a pilot program, which would give unrestricted money to 325 families uh, in historically underserved areas, would come out to what? About $250 a month for the 325 families. There are at least 30 cities across the country that have programs that give money directly to residents to decrease poverty gaps. And Dallas would join the other major cities in Texas as ones who have tried this initiative, right? So in Austin, their program, 85 households there received $1,000 a month. Um, in Houston, 110 households got $375 payments. And in San Antonio, starting in 2020, uh, their pilot program gave 1,000 families $400 every three months over the course of two years. Um, so, yeah, universal basic so not, income. Not exactly universal, but... You know, in this country since the early 80s, the, the maybe <clears throat> the most significant thing that the right has done politically is to take the concept of giving poor people money and making it poison. Um, and I think that's finally starting to wear off a little bit. But um, anytime it happens, I think it's worth pointing out. Yeah, it um, well, and it uh, so I had saw that that uh, our friend, uh, right, Steve Monticelli had had tweeted about this. The Morning News has not yet written about Dallas's experiment, as far as I can tell. So that's what did, I thought was very strange. I would have thought yeah. this would have caused a, a great amount of discussion. And they wrote in twenty. They they did write a, an opinion piece back in May about the Austin plan, and basically said that they have seen this approach tied in other places. This is the wrong policy to address those concerns. Austin has lots of problems in a long list of community challenges that a million dollars might actually make a lasting difference towards. And instead it's going to too few people, which uh, I mean, I don't, I would be shocked if uh, the Dallas Morning News started calling for massive capital investments in 
to uh, making lives better for people that are in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas, as opposed to padding the wallets of the Hunt family, um, right? Or at least not having to have the both and, right? Like maybe we could just help fund lower socioeconomic areas instead of having to also tie that into giving money to the Hunt family. Um, but it's, I don't know, I feel like it's a strange critique to be like, well, you know, uh, this wouldn't really do a whole lot for people. Right. And it's like, I don't know. Well, I mean, the thing is where it's been studied, it shows amazing results. People don't remain permanently on some form of assistance. They tend to be able to use the resources that they're given to leverage their situations to make them permanently better. And I think that's kind of the point is that if you can define a, a position, a set of circumstances that a person in your city might find him or herself in, at which you say, okay, we need some emergency safety net spending for this person. And frankly, it doesn't, we don't know as well as that person does really what they need. And it's just easier to design the program to just hand them the money. I think, you know, that's, that feels revolutionary in the United States because it has, it, it, the idea has been so poisoned. Um, but it, it, you know, in places where they do this, and have done this for years more regularly, the, I mean, the cost benefit is, is pretty easy to demonstrate it, it. This, this stuff really works. Well, right. And even here in the, I mean, the Biden administration uh, during COVID, right. Was uh, you know, they tried a form of, you know, these monthly payments to families with children Right then, and the evidence uh, resulted in you know vast swaths of you know families and children moving out of poverty during the time that they did the program. Now Congress has failed to to reauthorize that program, right, or has to put it into any kind of permanent existence. But yeah, I mean, well, it, and it, and and let's let's not let let Biden off the hook on that. He didn't ask them to. You know, correct. They've not pushed as hard for it, right, as as they as they could have. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it does, it certainly makes sense, right? That, and it's like everybody else, you know, the rent is probably the first thing people pay, right? You know, securing their, their place to live, right? Um, in, in terms of, you know, that and food, you know, it's not like people that are low on cash, right, are going to take this and spend it on, you know, extraneous purchases, you know, we're talking about 325 of the families that are living in, you know, some of the worst conditions in the city and giving them $250 a month that can help them go towards staying in their home, being able to provide for their family. Yeah. Right? Eating, eating. <laughs> things <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, you know, poor people don't tend to buy, um, uh, financial products from Wall Street, uh, and and so you know it, the money goes directly back into the local economy. Um, it's not just the people's lives who receive the money that are improved. They're, it's also their neighborhoods, the local businesses, the people they deal with. And I just, uh, you know, it is such a shame that we developed this politics of zero sum and of scarcity and. Um, you know, we don't scarcity is a is an economic concept that is is exists in a theoretical uh, space, 
there there are more desires than we have resources to fulfill. Um, but that's just another way of saying we have infinite desires. We have we have an unlimited appetite. It's not a way of saying the amount of resources needed to make people's lives livable is uh, is unrestricted or unlimited. In fact, it can be calculated uh, to a very fine degree. And that calculation never equals the amount of resources we have to devote to those issues. And that is something that is um, I, that I think I can prove with math um, and with measurements. Um, and it is something that I would say more than half of our country does not believe would, would, would really, I mean, really tell me to my face that I was just dead wrong. And so it, it, it's, it, it's developed this politics of smallness and, and meanness. Um, not even if it's not intentional meanness, even if you're talking about centrist Democrats who think that, um, you know, we don't need to make, uh, we can't afford to expand certain kinds of entitlements. And it's like, based on what, you know, <laughs> yeah. based on we, we absolutely have to continue to funnel money to the billionaire class. I, I don't, you know, it, make your argument, but I think I know a lot more than you do. Well, and that's so, you know, in the editorial that they wrote about the Austin plan, the morning news, you know, ended by saying, uh, quote, city policy should focus on creating economic advancement opportunities like ensuring they invest in workforce training and building diverse economies instead of chasing a guaranteed income program that can't provide long-term solutions to poverty. Instead, they're diverting taxpayer dollars from other basic city needs, making it more difficult to invest in their own cities and even creating a dependence on local government that cannot be sustained, end quote. Right, and budgets are always- Dependence, yeah, dependence on local government that cannot be sustained. And, well, of course and, it can be sustained, but it also doesn't create the dependence. They haven't read any of the studies. And the thing that right that I frustrate, and this is what you were touching on, right, is that budgets are statements of priorities among government entities, right? The city of Dallas has a lot Bingo. of money, right? It's not an unlimited amount of money, right? The same as the U.S. government has a lot of money, right? It is not unlimited, but we spend money on a whole bunch of things, right? And so- uh, if the city, the corp, the citizen, including Texas OU, right? Yes. If the citizenry decided that we wanted to spend those money on other things, right? We could do that. Um, they just don't want to do it, right? And so it's a difference between like, well, this is not sustainable, and we should be spending the money on other city services. Assumes, like you were saying, that sort of zero something that it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe we don't want more than half of the budget going into the police and fire, right? Maybe we think that there are more things that a city should do. We did an interesting exercise in my Sunday school class today. So my friend, Colin Yarborough, who wrote the book Paved Away that investigates sort of highways in Dallas, right? Um, we, we talked through how do people define a city and what qualifies as infrastructure and public safety and police in our Sunday school class. And granted, this is people in their 20s and 30s that go to a progressive Baptist church in Dallas, right? So you're looking at, uh, you know, an admittedly small chunk of the population. Public safety did not make it on the top 10 thing on either of the list, I don't think, of what people said they look for in a city. Well, yeah, right? but you, you guys are outliers. Um... And we are outliers, right? I mean, people, <clears throat> when we've talked about this before on this show, right? People generally... They want water to come on when they turn on their faucet and they want it to go away, right? 
They want the lights to turn on and off when they touch the light switch. They never want to see homeless people ever. Mm -hmm. right? And they want the fire department and police department to come when they call them. Right. Generally speaking. These are things they want, but they also, and we've talked about this, they also are fed a steady diet of, um, you know, police procedurals on TV and um, ring camera advertisements and next door um, posts the, on the, the next sewage door in next door. Um, and, and so they're, they're framing of the city, even if they live in neighborhoods like yours and mine, where your exposure to crime is extremely minimal. It's all sort of like annoying property crime. Um, and really your exposure to people in need is very little. They still manage to maintain a level of fear that is baffling to me. Like, honest to God, if I felt the way about Dallas, that some people who live here, who I know feel about Dallas, I wouldn't live here. I can well, live in a lot of places. <laughs> and, you know, but I, I know that that perception that is deliberately created, including by DPD, um, is false. It, it's it's very false. You can look. There are lots of numbers that you can look at, and you can see exactly where crime takes place, and it isn't anywhere near you. That's uh, what. So the interesting story that that Collins shared with us is that he's taken this sort of lesson on the road to lots of the Sunday school classes at Wilshire, and um, where they talked about things that define a city. All of the ones that we talked about were positive. And he was like in the other classes, which are generally older people, crime, it's almost always one of the things that they associate with living in a city is crime, right? That And it goes into this narrative, right? That people just think that cities are these crime infested, you know, danger zones. And it's like, I don't know, there's crime everywhere. Right? Well, there's, but, sig there's significant crime in Preston Hollow. The problem yeah. is the criminal is already in the house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're calling from inside the house that's <laughs> they're doing state sanctioned crimes uh, or, or they're beating their wives i mean right, I, yeah. I mean let's yeah. let's be real crass about it the, the yeah. domestic violence cuts across all parts of society and it is by far by far and away the biggest source of violent crime in american society and it, you know that ring cameras can't keep you safe from that shit you know, we talked, that's uh, what John Mulaney had the quote, right, um, in the Biden's, uh, you know, marijuana pardoning this week, you know, was like, well, marijuana usage has always been legal for white people. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, it's only when black people or brown people use marijuana that we worry about it becoming a crime. But the I mean, uh, the, the statistics yeah. when we pulled them here to do, have the site and release discussion back when I was trying to just slightly moderate the damage of the war on drugs not even fix anything really um the demographics of the people arrested for marijuana possession was just disgusting yeah that's yeah not good not good um uh, you know uh, about this so this universal basic income plan came of a, a larger package of initiatives that the city is is putting towards sort of racial equity projects um some other ones that are included in it include Park Street and other infrastructure improvements in majority Black and Hispanic neighborhoods like Joppy, Cadillac Heights, Pleasant Grove, and West Dallas. W. Um, right. So interesting. I mean, yeah, we've right. we've been appropriately dismissive of some of the things that that racial equity study brought up. 
the the potential initiatives some of those are very dumb and it did appear that they lacked ambition or a true understanding of the 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 significance of the problem but direct assistance to families and infrastructure investment in some of the most disinvested neighborhoods in in Dallas w yeah right those are huge wins a pluses for everybody let's yeah. let, let's let's pat backs instead of just bitch about council all the time here's something that council this council which we we've, we've accused of being too passive uh, again we're right um okay here's a win here's something good here's something that we can all be proud of and that we can praise you know anybody who voted for it and where you aren't, I mean, we talk about you know the scale of poverty. It, it is helpful to remind, I, I think, folks that eighteen uh, percent of Dallas's one point three million residents live below the poverty line, um, which makes us uh, of the four largest Texas cities. Um, we are just behind Houston, uh, which has twenty percent of its two point three million residents living below the poverty line. But it's a significant portion of our our population, and while this pilot plan wouldn't help everybody, right? Maybe it helps folks again, further demonstrate that these sorts of programs do work and do help. Yeah. That's, people. that's the key, right? It, it's, it's a limited program. 250 a month is not enough to change somebody's life. It's enough to, um, not, not enough to radically change somebody's life. The people who need it, they need it. And if it helps, it helps. But the, the key is to track it, to show that it does work and to show that, the next one maybe should be more ambitious. You know, we didn't have, we, while you touched on council, I think this is a good, a good segue. We didn't touch on this in our, our list of talking points, but I did want to touch on it. Uh, interesting thing that came out this week about the city's uh, city council uh, giving voting to give itself a $12,000 raise in the form of <laughs> uh, mileage or vehicle allowances, reimbursements. Um you know, you have talked, Philip, and I think we both agree that city council is underpaid, right, for the amount of work that goes into it. It is essentially a full-time job for the people who who do it, right? And the mayor and council both are I the mean, people who mayor, do it. The people who but, do it the way it's supposed to be done yeah. are being under underpaid at sixty thousand dollars a year, right? Horribly. And if you're a person who doesn't make sixty thousand dollars a year, don't please don't. Hear you're that also being say, underpaid. Yeah, you, right? you're also in the underpaid <laughs> yes. bucket. Like, please don't hear that to say that you 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 know, I it, it's just it's a tough job and doing it right takes a lot of time. There's no there's almost no way to work smarter because it's so much of needing to serve constituents and also to do intelligence gathering about what they what they want and what they need and what their dreams are and so that. That kind of stuff, it just it takes it out of you, even if your district doesn't have some districts like the one I used to serve have all the the land use stuff. And it took an inordinate amount of time dealing with developers and whatever else. Um, some districts don't have any of that. But, you know, if you don't have a lot of development in your district, it's probably because you have a lot of people who have a lot of needs. And so that you know, determining how to meet those needs. Oh, and you know. they cover huge sections of, of territory, right? Too. Right. Right. Much bigger. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've been an advocate for more pay for a very long time, including before I was on council. Um, so the, lest it seemed that I was lining my own pockets, um, 
the it, this this issue though drives me bananas, Tyler, because I really you know the charter is pretty clear um, about how council members are to be compensated, and the compensation is supposed to be in the form of a salary. The charter goes down to the level of saying it must be paid every two weeks, um, mm. and and the main thing it says is the compensation is to be set by the voters. Yeah. And I have no problem with them giving themselves a raise if they ask us first. Um, and I guarantee you, we will say yes. Um, the last one of these passed 55% with almost no campaign behind it. And in a city that at that time was more conservative than it is today. And so I, I just, I don't know why they wouldn't have just been bold. And at the time that they were putting the big stupid brimmer tax for the convention center in fair park on the ballot for november that would have been the time to say and by the way we want a twelve thousand dollar raise but then you get to the second part car allowance mm -hmm. this is a very bad look and melissa and i were talking about this this set her off big time because what she's seeing and i see it too is uh hypocrisy uh creeping into this council this council that boldly passed the CCAP and boldly passed the racial equity plan and who whose staff is constantly talking about reforming the parking code to eliminate parking minimums and maybe even have parking maximums. Um, it's fine for thee, but not for me. You know, their, 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 their argument is I've got to drive all over my district every week, all the time. I need a car. I mean, it's just, it's true. They do yeah. have to drive around a lot. They have to go a lot of places. No bullshit. But man, what a bad look. Well, and that, to sequester, you know, sequester $12,000, a fifth of their income into car, in, like that is, that's just icky. Well, and so, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> Uh, we definitely agree on this on, on France, right? Yeah, the council does deserve to be paid more. The way they're going out about going about it is is awful, and uh, especially I think given some of the things that have been reported in it, right? That you know, Bay has was quoted as saying that you know he accrues lots of mileage driving across the district, uh, but has never submitted a mileage reimbursement because right? it's too much. It's it because it, it's too much of a, a hassle is right? is well, really what he said. And that's insane to me, right? Like I work in college admissions. When I travel in the local Metroplex, I use my own vehicle, right? I keep track of where I go and I submit a mileage reimbursement form when I get filled, right? Get the form the form filled out. Uh, is it annoying? I mean, I, I kind of, but not really, right? It's just a part of the job. And so for it to be such a huge expense that council feels justified in, in adding it on to the amount of money that they get paid, but that they didn't take the time to even go through the proper channels when there was one existed that they could do to get the mileage reimbursement is insane. The story from the, the op-ed in the morning news today, where apparently folks that approached Kara told Kara, well, you have the longest commute from where you live to city hall anyway, and commuting isn't part of mileage reimbursement. Well, it's not part of mileage reimbursement for any person that works in America that commute from their home to the place that they work. 
like that was a preposterous claim. Uh, and if that's true, you know, what a stupid thing for somebody to say, you know, uh, if you wanted to do it, just do it, but don't do it in a way that is, you know, uh, sort of below board and in a way that just does not really make sense, especially given the fact that they already had the opportunities to get reimbursement and they weren't submitting claims for that. Well, and nobody who covered this knew enough about City Hall to know that they also have access to fleet vehicles at all times. So they can. there is a fleet that the city maintains, too? Oh the city maintains several fleets. Yeah. Now they wouldn't give they they would not give me a police car. I did ask. Um, <laughs> the, the, the I could not drive fire equipment. I'm actually not licensed for that. Um, but on multiple occasions, I uh, took out 15 passenger vans when I had community events where I needed to carry people around. Um, I rented hybrids to drive to uh, conferences that are sort of reasonable driving distance. I don't really think flying to Austin makes a lot of sense. So Madrano and I would get a, a hybrid and go down to Austin for stuff. Um, and that those, I mean, it, these fleets of vehicles, code vehicles, building inspection vehicles, Dallas water utilities vehicles, they're, they're all over the place. The city has thousands of vehicles. Yeah. And I, every time I said, I would like to have a vehicle for use, that that thing turned out to be ready that day. That's yeah. Knowing that council had access to that just makes this even worse. I mean, this it is really truly this is truly insane. And um, the thing that Baz said, um, which I think people need. So anyway, it it's a brief recap. No surprise to anyone that I don't think we have the right city attorney. Um, I think that there's some there's a lot of reasons to think that council thinks that as well, but they be you know, consistent with their passivity, have put him on this create your own uh, performance improvement plan, which, by <laughs> the way, was due like a week or two ago. Well, and, I and we are past discussion. the date. We are past the 100 days date. I, we didn't get to commemorate yeah. it, but Dallas is was fixed as of, <laughs> Dallas the is fixed. of September. Well, yeah. and this is essentially uh, Eric Johnson's message when he uh, announced he was running again is that Dallas is fixed make dallas great again now we're going to be keep dallas great that's going to be the re-election campaign keep oh dallas goodness. great anyway um <laughs> he, baz said that the city attorney had fully signed off on this approach and that it was completely legal and i i'm not going to do it i'm not going to do this because i think that they're underpaid and i just don't care enough about this car allowance to get this mad but you know if somebody out there is this mad um, everybody in Dallas has standing to sue these people for, uh, this car allowance shenanigan for a violation of the charter. Um, and you know, if they did, I, I mean, I just think the city attorney's dead wrong. They probably would win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Just because the city attorney says something is legal doesn't necessarily mean that it is generally speaking. Especially about, this one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yeah, that's not a blanket endorsement always. Um, yeah, he, he decided poker rooms were illegal. See, see how that's going. He decided correct. that the uh, the shutting down um, strip clubs, strip clubs yeah. late at night was was completely Sorry, not strip clubs, sexually oriented businesses. We have to be we use the proper terminology. No, they're strip clubs. I represent them. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, just because it's like, uh, I don't know, it's the Richard Nixon uh, in the Frost uh, Nixon, right? Just because when the president says it, it's not illegal. Well, the city attorney says that uh, it may still be illegal. <laughs> they are not, in fact, experts on all things all the time. Um, OK, uh, while we're on council, interesting that, um, and I, well, I guess not surprising, but um, city count, the city council came out against Encore this week, joining 168 other North Texas cities to push back against Encore's request to raise their electric utility rates. Um, Encore's requesting an 11% increase, which they had initially filed in May. The proposed uh, spike would tack on an additional $6 to the average Texan's electricity, electricity bill each month. Um, and all of this coming despite the fact that Encore reported a $60 million increase in revenue in the last quarter. Um, but Encore said that the Investments were, quote, necessary to recover significant system investments and meet growth needs across the state. Um, so the city council passed a resolution this week uh, joining other North Texas cities and saying we don't want Encore to raise electric utility rates. The, every time Encore asked to raise rates, which is disturbingly frequently, um, <clears throat> you have some version of this argument. Now, years ago, I'd say more than 15 years ago, no, it's been more recent than that. Maybe as, as few as 10 years ago, the city council would actually not oppose the rate increase um, on the theory that um, the people negotiating with Encore about the the increase had done a good job or something. I, it, it, it was a very bizarre argument, and it was just, you know, basically it was council being... Um, hoodwinked or something or maybe just too lazy to to fight for for their people <laughs> but you know ever since i started voting on these things we were like no absolutely not um the problem is all these cities and it's it's swept the state more and more cities oppose these increases now part of it is you can you can tell that encore doesn't actually need the money this this money is accruing to pay their investors basically uh, higher returns, which is a strange thing because it's supposed to be a sort of semi-regulated utility. You know, it would be nice if if electric um, delivery production and delivery were all um, simply regulated monopolies or even state-owned enterprises, uh, as as it is in many many places, um, and where it works just fine. In fact, arguably better than it works here. But the problem here is that this is just a, a very nasty example of Texas crony capitalism. You know, but Governor course, Abbott said it. Governor Abbott said in his debate with Beto, we have the lowest electric rates in the nation. He, he was not accurate about that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and you know, the, the, the issue is, is that this will be resolved by the public utility commission. And, um, as you might've seen this last week, they, um, uh, what did they do? They rejected a proposal. Uh, God, it was a green initiative. I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Um, and everybody knew they were going to reject it. And it, it's, it it just sucks. They <laughs> they're a very um, retrograde group, and the thing to know about the PUC is that they always approve these rate increases. They never listen to cities. They never listen to rate payers, 
they are entirely uh, captured by industry, which is a theory of governance you find in both government and economics uh, academia called regulatory capture is when the industry being regulated has such power that it essentially winds up writing its own regulations and also adjudicating all of its own uh, disputes. And uh, the PUC is appointed by Greg Abbott. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in, a I, in a very real way, this is yet another time that Greg Abbott is directly raising your electricity rates. And in addition to the 45 bucks a month that you're paying to fix uh to actually to not to fix the grid basically to pay for the damage from winter storm uri when we almost yeah failed it and the cell phone tax the abbott tax as well yeah i think he is definitely one of the largest drivers of inflation in texas and our inflation is higher in texas than it is in other parts of the country due to things like like this well this is the same public utility commission right that was it last month basically approved a plan to overhaul the energy grid uh, with zero public input and no public meetings uh, <laughs> at all and yeah. had no one on the commission that was charged with doing this overhaul <clears throat> that was in charge of actually representing consumers and rate payers. It was all energy companies proposing the rules that should govern them. Um, and shockingly, they come up with rules that uh, I don't know, benefit themselves, sort of like the NFL's investigation of uh, Tua Tunga Viola and the uh, concussion thing. You know, they looked into it and found out they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, they follow the protocol exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. We looked into it. It's like the uh, after action police shooting, probably San Antonio police with the uh, awful thing that's happening there with the teenager who was murdered by the, or shot, not, he's not dead. Not murdered. Not Thank murdered. God. He's just, yeah, is, but it's clinging to life, right? Or in critical condition. Uh, they'll probably take a look at that and realize that uh, it was okay too. Um. Maybe not. I probably not that, that way. Yeah, I think that one's probably a little not bit that over way. the line. Um, yeah. yeah um, I don't know. PUC, man, it's this is this gets into state level politics, but it, it touches us so directly. It's it's just it's one of those things back in the early 90s when um, uh, Ann Richards got elected. <clears throat> Everybody knew she was going to have a struggle because the legislature had already um, started to turn real red um, and it didn't seem like she was going to get a ton of stuff through the legislature. And sure enough, they were they were not great to her. Um, but then the, the thing that I think in retrospect, in history, other than her quick wit, I think the the, the actual governance thing that people remember about her is that she appointed terrific um, administrative officials. Um, Texas is an, a unique state in that the governor gets to appoint um, administrative agency heads, which is normal. Lots of states are that way. But then the agencies from that point forward are independent, um, in theory, obviously. But the they they don't have a, a specific mechanism by which the governor can give them orders it's, except in certain circumstances and uh so appointing good people is a real important role of being texas governor and um even under perry even under george w bush um the appointments you can you can argue with them but the, he, there weren't a ton of like criminal indictments yeah, of generally, agency heads yeah. and there wasn't a lot of people yeah there right. were there weren't scandals and and just gross mismanagement 
and the Abbott, I mean, Abbott's history on this is just horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. Normal agencies that you would think just appoint a competent professional is kind of going to be a boring agency. I mean, having agencies be boring is actually the goal, you know, and, you know, appoint these people, appointing these people who, you know, spent, uh, I'm trying to remember which agency spent $800,000 on, on, uh, private airplane travel to like resort destinations. So it's, you know, tax money. Um, and Sid Miller are, are, uh, he's not an appointed person, but another example of this idea is he used taxpayer money to go to Oklahoma to get the Jesus shot. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that the head of uh, the Department of Public Safety should still be there. I mean, except Greg. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that guy has something on Greg Abbott, and that's why he he can't be fired. The entire TABC got busted um, falsifying their uh, uh, um, expense statements to, to collect more money and, and had to be fired, you know. And, and this is it's just over and over and over the Department of Family Protective Services lost, you know, 2,700 kids in foster care. <laughs> yeah, continued people in it's child abuse, sexual one abuse. One after another. Right? Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. if Abbott, you know, even if you're kind of like on board with Abbott in terms of his rhetoric and his ideology, I, I mean, I think we need to have more discussion and and we need we need to heal you somehow. But it, even if, if just setting that aside, if you just want to evaluate him on performance in office, it's it, it's measurably poor. Yeah, nothing in the state works. That's again back to my central thesis. You know, nothing in works. But it is easier to say that we should defund government if you just make government not work and function because you appoint people that are terrible in charge of it. Well, and that right. would be a great argument to make if our if our property taxes weren't so high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if this had all come at the expense of actually having to pay for any of this shit, yeah, then yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. there's an argument. But no, yeah, we're paying a lot of money and not getting a system that that works. Speaking of systems that work, scooters are coming back, right? No, no. <laughs> so this they haven't finalized the application process, which is bureaucratic speak, as you well know. For what? Yeah, it, it's not going to happen anytime soon. They haven't well, started on the application. Yeah, they've not started it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it was so back in the summer. Right. It was supposed to be in October. Electric scooters were supposed to make their return to Dallas, having been gone since 2020. Uh, I also like the revisionist, just as an aside, the revisionist history about this, that that we took them off the streets all because of they were leaving them everywhere and it was dangerous and unsafe. When I remember it was because we had teenagers that were just taking lime scooters into deep Ellum and shooting people was the the what the popular narrative around it was right. Oh we yeah. Talking. We quit talking this is about what that. The, now this is what the deep Ellen people. So <clears throat> from a, if there is an actual group of humans who was behind the movement to get rid of them, a big constituency in that group was the deep Ellum operators, the, the business operators. They're not owners. They don't even own anything. They're all fucking tenants, <clears throat> but they were goddamn horrible. And they're just like the anti-fun brigade. They like saw scooters and they just hated them and they hated everything about them. They just hated the people who were using them. Um, and, it, you know, that this is this is one of those horrible instances where a very loud, very stupid minority um, was heard over the voices of the vast majority of the city who 
you can tell from the number of trips they took really liked the scooters. Yeah, right. So they were supposed to unveil the new rules that would require geofencing uh, of certain areas, right, where the providers would have to slow scooters down or shut them off from restricted areas. Um, also would require them to take a picture of their scooter after completing the ride and be fine money if they didn't. Um, and it was going to be pretty limited in each, right? It was supposed to only be three operators that would have 500 scooters each under the new plan. Um, and so the observer, right, talks about how, I guess, the city manager, assistant city manager is basically saying, uh, we're not ready for it yet. Um, and it may be sometime before they they come back. Yeah, he specifically said that they weren't uh, they hadn't completed the application process. And I really do think that means exactly what I said is that they hadn't started working on the application form yet. Which, you know, sort of like the student loan forgiveness uh, form that's coming soon from the Biden administration. Definitely. Yes. Um, the scooter bans, you know, so I, I think, we, yeah, we you and I both agree it was dumb to begin with. And scooters, I don't know. Yeah, it's not great if they're all, you know, if they make it dangerous for people to walk on a sidewalk. Um, it may mean that, you know, one of the articles or one of the comments in the Observer was basically like downtown streets and sidewalks suck. And so they're not. And it's like, well, I mean, we could make that not suck. Right. Because, yeah, that's true. Streets and sidewalks downtown, not great all the time. Um, but you, we could also invest in making them not suck. I like scooters a lot. I know in the places that I've been that have them, they are a useful way to get from point A to point B. Um, they also are a useful way to reduce the number of automotive trips taken right? inside of a city. They're a pretty useful way for um, kids who can't drive yet to get around. They're a really useful way for people who want to use DART to solve the last mile problem. Um, dart doesn't go exactly where you want it to go. You know, a scooter extends your comfortable commuting range. Um, the, you know, it's just, I, I had significant PTSD this last week thinking through the scooter fights from before, um, and all of the dumb arguments I heard. Um, one of the ones we heard was, um, you know, they're kids just using the scooters, not even to really go anywhere. They're just riding around. Mm. That sound horrible, Tyler. Yeah. What kids having fun? I was like, <laughs> let me, I was like, let me guess the skin color of the children. <laughs> <laughs> they're just out there wandering around. Yeah. I mean, I hate it when I see people, kids riding bikes on the Santa Fe trail. Oh, know, yeah. I mean, sometimes like, they're, they're not even going anywhere. <laughs> They're the trail around White job. Rock Lake. It doesn't go anywhere. It's a freaking circle. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, every I represented Turtle Creek and I love those people, but God help, you know, they're the age they are. And I think when we go down and they'd exit their building and if they saw a scooter, if they could actually see a scooter somewhere, then it almost ran them down. I got that. I got, I got that complaint so many times. It was incredibly dangerous. You know, it's uh, the, you know we had the I had a DFNR a firefighter actually tell me that yeah that that you know the number of ambulance runs they were making with uh, people who'd been injured on scooters was just astronomical. So I went and I asked all the hospitals. How many it was scooter like riders seven. are you seeing? It was like well, seven. You know, and people, this is just one of those weird topics where people just refuse to be honest about it. They well, absolutely yeah. can't be honest. 
But did your seven include all of the murderers that were coming into Deep Ellum on scooter <laughs> to murder people? I think I've I told mean, the story before, but you know, there was a scooter robbery. Right. One, right? Yeah. Yeah. And since his credit card was on file, it was pretty easy to solve. Yeah. We know who it is. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> uh, that's really funny. You know, I live off of La Vista and La Vista has those speed bumps on it. And I was uh, taking an Uber to Love Field. Um, the other week and the driver who she lived. Oh, in, she didn't know that, huh? She did not. And I had warned her that there was one. She lives and you in South Hazard Dallas. That. And she was like, uh, well, why are these here? And I said, well, because rich white people live here. Right. And she laughed. And I was like, you know, but really, she's like, well, we could use these in my neighborhood in South Pretty Dallas because people drive too fast. And I was like, yeah, but see, rich white people don't live there. So you're not going to get the the curb bumps. Um, they man. You, do you know they might? They you think they could? I'm starting to get. I don't know. This is this is how I am, Charlie Brown, and the football will be jerked away from me. <laughs> <clears throat> but I I am very optimistic. And this week, Oslo and Helsinki both announced that they had had a year of zero pedestrian deaths. Um and. There's a there's a long article in Atlantic, I think. Well, um, one of those one of those liberal rags, probably. Yeah, detailing what they did, and they've been at it a lot longer than most cities have. They they both started in the late '90s trying to make things safer, um, and but the surprising stuff was that there are lots of things that we're contemplating that are you know, some of which are actually memorialized in our complete streets design manual, which I think has been completely ignored since we passed it. Um, you know, narrowing lane widths works great, but the, the main thing they concentrated on was just speed. And they, both of those cities <clears throat> did an interesting thing initially, which was to drop their uh, speed limits on their surface streets. But then they backed that up with a robust, uh, enforcement per, uh, system. They they really enforce their lower speed limits and they put in speed bumps. So just regular old dumbass speed bumps or speed humps um, plus lowering your speed limits and enforcing them. That was the, that was the greatest single um, the reduction in speed was the greatest single thing that they did to make their streets safer. Um, and so you know, as as that if that catches on, and I think that that London and Paris both have plans to hey, do Paris, similar things. Paris did. Uh, they've set the speed limits lower. I know in Paris, right last year, I think. So uh, you know, I just I think uh, if if that kind of spreads, we could eventually one day see that come to Southern Dallas, and Southern Dallas has the double. Um, it it has been abused in another way it was built out in the city's 1965 i think it's 65 thoroughfare plan so that all of the big grid streets in southern dallas are on one mile blocks and all of those arterials are <clears throat> six lanes with turn pockets mm -hmm. um with wide lanes and so what you're talking about is a facility that looks to a driver like a 60 mile an hour facility. 
Mm-hmm. And it's an it's an artery that can carry essentially in traffic engineers will tell you that a six lane with turn pockets is an is the 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 daily traffic capacity of that facility approaches infinity. Um, you, you basically can't overwhelm a facility that large. And, you know, that was built out at a time when Southern Dallas was still being robbed of other kinds of infrastructure. And, you know, from an, uh, from a population standpoint, Southern Dallas in some ways has emptied out. Um, and these giant thoroughfares that, that crisscross it are, um, very dangerous, obviously, and are in areas <clears throat> more likely to have people who are transit dependent and who need mm-hmm. to walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Um, you had housing bond news on uh, of items to cover. <clears throat> I don't know if it's news yet. Maybe this is Loserville breaking this news. Ooh, um, exclusive. Let's say it. it's a Loserville exclusive. The Housing Coalition, um, we probably need a better name for ourselves that I have participated in and will will continue to participate in a little bit, um, has identified as one of its immediate concerns the idea that it needs to have a piece of the next bond initiative, which is tentatively scheduled for 2024, um, going toward affordable housing. Um, Austin did this has done this twice now with very giant housing bonds. I don't know if Dallas is going to be willing to go for a really big number on a housing bond, but it's, it is interesting that there is going, and this isn't just this housing coalition. This is also an idea that city staff has raised um, that has, I think has been discussed at the housing committee at, at uh, city council. So I don't think this is just me being, hopeful that we're going to borrow some money to build some housing. I think there's a real chance that we might, especially as interest rates go up and the city can access debt at a price that is far below what the private sector can borrow at. I think this makes a a lot of sense. Um, So I'm interested to see how the discussion around using some of what we borrow in 2024 specifically to build affordable housing and and more specifically than that, I think it needs to be uh, a housing first approach toward homelessness. Um, I think that the the kind of mixed income housing that we are that we've passed policies to promote is starting to catch on in the private sector. And I think it's private sector is not going to build the kind of housing we need to get people off the streets. I think that's really the responsibility and really the only actor who will do it is probably the city. Mm. So I'm kind of interested in, in 2024, do we have a discussion in the city that says, you know what, let's make a meaningful dent in homelessness. Let's borrow some money and build these, blocks of apartments like you see in finland i hate to go i hate to just like be this is the this is the I nordic mean, country and if there's show. one thing people in america love scandinavia and france policy solutions <laughs> i mean that's one thing that americans love <laughs> well if they'd go there they might they might learn <laughs> to love them um <clears throat> but yeah that the the nordic con- the official uh podcast of copying the nordic countries i believe is <laughs> 
is uh the the brunigs podcast i I think we're 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 late to the party on that but in any case i think that's what we need to do i think we ought to borrow a pretty significant amount of money and build some you know housing first approach housing for the homeless and just like take a couple thousand of them off the street and see if that helps yeah well it wouldn't help everybody philip so you know we probably should just put it into police but wouldn't it help everybody like, didn't we say that one of the things everybody wants is to not see homeless people? Yeah, that was. Yes. Yes. And at Wilshire today, uh, one of the scripture readings was from the book of Jeremiah and the welfare of the, city, of the city you live in as an exile is tied intimately to your welfare as a human being. Right. Should be. Should be. <laughs> Should be. Should be. Uh, yeah, we would like things to be better for all all people that live here, not just the Hunt family. That's maybe our central thesis of today's episode. Uh, we would like things to be better for all people. It's full on communism. That's <laughs> full on communism. That's right. That's right. When when you heard the phrase full on communism, did you ask yourself? What does half-ass communism half look ass, like? Well, yeah, yeah, that's a great question, right? I did see that. Yeah, full-on, full-on <laughs> communism. Yeah, I don't know how you do it halfway, right? That seems uh, it's an all-or-nothing kind of it, communism. Yeah, that, that's like that's like kind of pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sovereignty similar, right? You either are sovereign or you're not. Yeah. Uh, I don't right, have man. anything else this week. Do you? We should do an episode in the future on the convention center before we get to vote for on it. Uh, so we should add that to our, our queue. I of, think we uh, could, I think we can make that happen and that might need to be uh, its own episode. Like a, yeah. it might, that might take a full episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll tell people to stay tuned for that. All right. Thanks y'all.